Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Cancer. Cancer is my word of the day. That's a serious word. Let me say it like this. When you're Dylan Brooks of the Grizzlies, the Memphis Grizzlies, and you say, and many players have said this, I feel like a distraction in the clubhouse or locker room would be a cancer. In the past two years, we've had those. Talking about Igudala and stuff like that. We knew from the jump he didn't want to be with this team. I am begging and pleading what I would say to our players over every year for 18 years. Don't use the word cancer in the clubhouse. People actually have cancer. It's a disease that you can die from, that people are treating. They're trying to get better. They're trying to live their lives. It's a serious affliction. You could have someone in the clubhouse who's a bad egg, a bad apple, an a-hole. There's all sorts of ways to describe someone. A cancer is not one of them. I also don't like when people say, hey, we're going to battle. Let's get together and we're going to war. We're going to win this war. Really? Is there religion, life, liberty, democracy, land? What's at stake? It's money and a victory. So please, try to stay away, Dylan Brooks, even if you're a veteran, rookie, whatever you are. No cancer. Don't use it for that. The second thing I would tell you, why is it that we in sports happen to believe that we are the most serious thing around and that everyone knows everything that's going on in our world. I love the world of sports, but there's an entire real world out there. We are here to provide entertainment to you. That's what I do. Of course, I'm going to bring in other things. Of course, I'm going to bring in some entertainment, some politics. Just don't say war or cancer ever. Today's the NBA trade deadline. I love trade deadlines. I went through uh, 18 of them. It's an absolute cluster at a deadline. I want to bring you inside because here's what it's become today. Everyone is looking at on Twitter. Everyone is on CBS Sports HQ. You're looking for the breaking news. We're not going to go with breaking news unless we have a report and then we can get the report confirmed because we're CBS Sports HQ and we do it right. And on this Nothing Personal show, I'm going to say it the same way. I'm not going to give you something except that tell you it's my opinion, or I'll tell you what I know to be true. What goes on now with deadlines is everybody starts reporting just when they hear something. They have a source. They don't double-check it. Today is a day that everyone is feverishly checking. Do you know who doesn't feverishly check social media? People actually running the teams. I remember very well how the trade deadline would work and what's going on inside the room. And I want to set that stage for you. I want to tell you who's there and what their jobs are. Number one, you have the president of the team. You've got the general manager of the team. You have the assistant to the general manager. Then you've got the finance people, not in the exact room, but they're on duty. In the old days, the trade deadline was midnight, and we made sure our CFO was still in the office in case we needed to do some last-second calculations that needed to be double-checked. Then we have the general counsel at the ready. 
Why? Because we're going to be reviewing contracts. We could be negotiating extensions. All of those things could be going on right up to the edge of the deadline. Then we have an intern always in the room. We're always trying to teach young kids, men, women, doesn't matter, in the room, showing them what it's like to actually go through a trade deadline. But they also had another role. Two, actually. One, food and drinks. You have to have constant food, constant drinks, because you're never leaving your post. Two, they have to have a direct line to the commissioner's office. Because the way a deadline works is the deadline for the NBA is today at 3 p.m. Trades have to be called into the league and approved by the league by the deadline. Baseball's deadline used to be midnight. We had to have people ready to call because if you don't get it checked in by midnight, there's no trade. So as you sit around the room, you're wondering to yourself, how do trades come together? How does Pat Riley, a trade that may be announced, was announced with Igudala going from Memphis to Miami for Winslow and also Dion Waiters and his year left on his deal and James Johnson, his year left on his deal. How does that come together? We're hearing rumors of three team deals. We're going to try to do a deal not just with the Grizzlies, but also with Oklahoma City Thunder. Do you think the media comes up with this? No, here's what we do. We sit down about, let me guess, 364 days before the trade deadline. And we are working constantly on putting our team together. We are figuring out what our payroll is, what our capacity is, what our opportunities are each single day with each single team. We put a team together. We have payroll. We know from the owner what our payroll can be. We know how much cap space we have if you're in basketball. There are people in that room. Their sole job is to make sure that you stay under the cap. Sole job is to make sure you've heard in football they have these too. There's scores of Ivy League educated people who are simply there trying to figure out how much money can we take on without paying any sort of tax, soft cap, hard cap, etc. So everyone has their job. So what we have to do when we're looking at different trades is we first identify on the baseball or basketball side, what do we want to do to this team? Are we getting better or are we getting worse? Every team in baseball and basketball is doing the same thing around the deadline. They are not paying attention to where you think they are. They're paying attention to where they think they are, people on the inside. And when you're on the inside and you are, let's say, the Miami Heat, and you're looking at the Heat and you're saying, you know what, we're right now in a top four seed. Are we as good as Milwaukee? I don't think so. Do we have a chance to beat the Lakers and the Clippers? I'd certainly like to get to the finals to find out. But this team, the way they've played and surprised, they deserve to be helped. That's something that we would start meeting about over a month before the deadline. Does this team deserve to be helped? Is this team playing beyond what our expectations were? And are we now going to adjust our expectations and make a win now type of trade? Or does it go the other way where we had high expectations, the team is not playing well, we keep waiting for it to turn around, but about a month before the deadline, we start setting new deadlines. Okay, five more games. If we don't go four and one in these five, we're not adding to this team. If we don't win two out of the next three series on this road trip in baseball, we're not going to add at the deadline. So we have all those things going on. Then we get into a deadline room. A deadline room is set up, as I said before, with food, drinks, chairs. The, ch the comfort of the chairs is according to the size of the title. The higher the title, the better the chair. You're in that room for multiple days. It's like a bunker. You're locked in. 
and you're locked in because you are texting and calling with all the other teams. It used to be before cell phones. Yes, I'm that old. Before cell phones, we actually would have to use office phones to check in. We would call every team. There'd be a list, not a computerized list on a big board, a list of teams checking in, who do they have who we want, and is that player available? And we're going down the list. Then we have the money next to each player. How much is that player's contract this year? How much more is guaranteed in future years? Then we have a copy of our payroll for this year and our expected payroll for next year and the year after with the amount of money that we would owe in guaranteed contracts. So there's a lot of moving parts. So you check off the teams one by one. You decide first, we're going to add. Then you decide who you want to add. You go down the list of teams. Then you start engaging. The way the engagement starts is with your phone. It's very simple. There's a text, and very often we would assign someone below the level of the GM, like a professional scout, to text a scout of another team. Listen, do you guys have any interest in moving John Doe? What would you think if we made John Doe available? It's that sort of texting that then gets reported back to the trade deadline room so we can get an idea of where we think other teams' heads may be regarding a particular player. So we'd send a text, then we'd get an idea, then the first phone call would come, and that would be GM to GM. The call would go like this. Hey, we'd like to know, hey, how you doing? Hope all's well. Yeah, we got the deadline. Yeah, we're, uh, we really would have interest in Andre. And, you know, to make that work, obviously, we'd have to make the money work. We'd be willing to talk about, we'd be willing to talk about Waiters and Johnson in a deal. Not going to mention Winslow right off the top. This is the heat deal that went on. So then the Grizzlies go back and say, listen, from our standpoint, we could just let Andre, he's a declining asset. He hasn't even been in our locker room. Whether he's been a distraction or not, I'm not going to even talk to you about. But we don't have to move him. So to move him, we're going to need something compelling. So then there'd be a pause, and it's all done knowing that the deadline's at 3 p.m. on Thursday, February 6th. You always have to leave at least two and a half hours for exchange of medical information and getting the information to the commissioner's office. So then the call is, no, we actually, we would not be interested in moving Andre just for waiters. However, if you talk about Winslow who's on a pretty team-friendly deal, been hurt a little bit, we'd have to check his medical. But if you talk about Winslow, then maybe we could start talking. And the Heat would go back and say, listen, that's probably not a deal where we would see Winslow. He's an important part of our team. He's someone who's going to be here a few years. And this side of type of dancing is what goes on back and forth, GM to GM. And then we will put the phone on mute while the other GM is waxing poetic about how great his player is. And we will assign someone in the deadline room to go call one of our scouts to get an idea. Who else do we like in the Grizzlies organization? What else do we think we can do out there from a basketball standpoint? On the baseball side, are there any other prospects at any other level in this organization that we can take a look at? Are there any other players who you would look at who could replace player X who this team doesn't want to move? So while the GMs are wasting time sort of going back and forth, the scouts on each side are putting together alternate deals with alternate names. Then they bring those names into the room. The room discusses those names. Then we have a counterproposal. Then the GM would call the GM back 
well, listen, we're not willing to do X and Y. However, would you consider Y and Z? This process goes back and forth. It can be infuriating because you know very well it's like buying a car. You never make your best offer or a house. Don't make your best offer first. I would bring to the deadline room that I was slightly more impatient. I wanted to go straight to other teams and say, listen, this is a take it or leave it and I mean it. We're willing to talk about player X only if we get back player Y. If you're not willing to talk about that, then we have nothing further. More old school GMs didn't like that because they like the idea of building up toward a deal. The back and forth, it sort of makes them feel good that they're making progress, that each side, it's a give and a get. I wanted to get right to it because I then would need to move on to another team and plan B and plan C. Plan B and plan C are critical at a trade deadline. Do you know that every team has five different things, five things that are going on all at once, and they are doing it in the exact order that they want to do it? So that is what goes on inside the room. When a trade gets done, I always knew whether it was going to be a good trade, very simply, by asking what the reaction was in the room. And you could tell from different levels, from the finance department to the legal department, that would tell me how the contracts are, down to the GM to tell me, does he feel better about our situation if we're trying to get better, or does he feel like he got enough if we were selling, knowing that we couldn't win that year? And then I would always look down at scouts who have a personal relationship with players they've scouted. That's a big thing in baseball that you have to watch out for, is emotion. When scouts are on the road for 290 days a year, they get to know these young players. They draft the players. The players get into their system, and then all of a sudden, they don't want to trade them. They fall in love with their own inventory. Pat Riley, when he and I would have conversations about this, one of his great lessons in running a team, and what's ironic is his love for some of his players, but he always said, never fall in love with your own players because the way you value them is always going to be different than how other teams value them. And he's 100% right. So you go through and you make a trade. It's exciting. There's trades happening all the time. While I'm sitting here talking, the Warriors have done a big trade reportedly. with trying, trading D'Angelo Russell, which was their big offseason acquisition. Obviously, I don't think the teams won 10 games. The Warriors, obviously the injuries to Curry and Klay Thompson. But we're not here to talk about that specific trade. But this is an example where you have to make an adjustment. The Warriors didn't expect Klay Thompson to be hurt, Steph Curry to go down the way he has. You make adjustments. So what do we do now in this day and age to communicate trades are done? Do you know that when trades are announced, they can only be announced once the teams have told the players? All of these rumors that we hear, they are not officially announced. Do you know the insanity of this? Here's a story. First trade I ever did was a Cliff Floyd trade. Cliff Floyd, I was with the... Uh, that was the first trade I did with the Marlins. First trade I ever did was with Montreal. That was Hideki Arabu. Oh, God, I could tell you the Hideki Arabu trade. We traded for the fat toad. Rest, his, rest in peace, Hideki. He was brutal. You see, we didn't know what we were getting. We thought we were getting a good starting pitcher. We had no idea that he was more scared of flying than Mr. T. We had to drug him to get on the team plane. He was a chain smoker, so we'd let him have a cigarette right before boarding the team plane. We'd drug him, we'd wake him up right as the plane was landing, and then let him have a cigarette right as he was getting off the plane. 
That's what we did with Hideki Arabu, and we kept a special ashtray right outside the clubhouse. Even while he pitched in between innings, he would have a cigarette. God is my witness. I watched him do it. I just wish he would have won more games. So why aren't players told immediately? Because things happen with deals. We're going to talk about later on in this show about a Mookie Betts deal. We're going to talk later on why that hasn't been announced. Really? There's complications. We're going to explain it all. But in the old days, there was no leaking because there was no social media. There was no, I want to say there was no internet. There may have been internet, but there was really no sort of advance notice unless it would be leaked by one of us. And we would use purposeful leaks all the time in order to try to get more information or get more teams interested in our players. But we had players get upset with us that we did not call them to tell them they were traded and they read about it. They read about it. They got tweeted at. They got texted. And I feel, I feel for these guys. It happened to me too. I found out I was being fired by text. It was leaked and I got a text alert that I had been let go by Jarek Jeter and the Marlins. It's weird. There's no doubt. I took a screenshot of it. I actually saved it because I don't save very many things. But I must tell you that they have this favorites app on your phone. And one of the favorites I have is that screenshot. And if I could find it now, I would and show it to you. But if you're listening, then you really couldn't see it anyway. But if you're watching, I could. So we would not tell players until it was official because anything can happen. And I've had players get angry. Here's how the call goes. Hey, uh, Cliff. Cliff, it's uh, Samson. Yeah, yeah, I've been traded. Yeah, I know I've been traded. No, no, Cliff, I'm, we're calling it. I want to be the one to tell you. I want to tell you that we have moved you on to the Mets. Yeah, I know. Cliff, you're going to get a call from the other team's traveling secretary. That person will tell you your travel arrangements. We appreciate all the work you've done, and we appreciated you as a member of our team. See you later. It's that quick. And when you get a new player, you call him up, and it's a totally different tone. John? John, it's David Sampson with the Marlins. John, we are so happy to have you as part of our team. You have no idea how hard we work to get you. Nah, I don't believe that it was a salary dump. I don't believe that we underpaid and that they were trying to get rid of you. No, I'm just kidding, but that's always in the player's mind. We want to make a player wanted. John, we're so excited. John, you're going to get a call from a guy named Bill Beck or Manny Cologne. They're going to call you, and we want to get you here as soon as possible. I know you have three days to report under the collective bargaining agreement, but we'd like you in the lineup tomorrow. We already know there's a flight from your city. We'll take care of, you know what, there's an off day coming up in two weeks. You can go back and get your stuff. Get your bags packed. We'll help you out with your family if you have. We just can't wait to get you in here. That's how a call goes. It goes that fast. The player doesn't even have a chance to breathe. CBS Sports HQ's own Richard Hamilton was on set today, and he was talking about how tough it is for players at the trade deadline. And I can feel for Rip. I like Rip. Obviously, what a player. What a man. But my job is not to feel for the players or to even think about what the players are going through with the deadline. I would go to the clubhouse on deadline day, and everyone would be looking. Who's he going to talk to? Who are they pulling out? Who's traded? Everyone's on pins and needles. And I would just go down there to get a sandwich and say, guys, we'll let you know. Of course, we're looking to get better. Of course, we're looking to shed payroll. 
If you're honest with your players, they know exactly what's going on. You think that Dion Waiters of the Miami Heat is surprised that he got traded today? What about D'Angelo Russell? Did he wake up and say, oh my God, I'm traded? I'm traded? Of course not. These players know. The agent's job is to let a player know when he is on the block or when he's being moved. Are there some times that we trade players that we had no idea we were going to trade? It's happened many times. Here's how that goes. The other team calls you up and says, listen, I will take John Doe. But I want you to include Jim Doe as well. Well, we weren't going to trade Jim. We had no interest in trading Jim. We've done that. at the. By the way, Dontrell Willis of the Marlins was a throw-in at the end of a deal who we asked for. There was no interest in him coming to our team, being traded to us. We were not going to get him at all. And we asked for him at the end, and he ended up being a huge player in a trade we did. The point is there are some players who you just don't know that are in play. But at the big league level, all 25 guys on a baseball team, all 15 guys on a basketball team, they know they're in play. Now, does LeBron, is he is an exception? Is Anthony Davis an exception? Obviously. But the way we would always say it, and this is what the players would hear every day, LeBron, everybody is likely to be traded. Some people are just more likely than others. And we would say that from Giancarlo Stanton, who ended up being traded, all the way to the 25th guy. Because if you get an offer that's too good to be true on deadline day, we would do that. We did that with the Dodgers. We, we knew the Dodgers needed pitching when we had Brad Penny, and we wanted to get, back in the day, who can remember, we tried to get Bellinger. We tried to get CBS Sports HQ's Will Middlebrooks. When he was a big-time prospect for the Red Sox, we would do deadline calls, and we'd offer a big league player, hey, we'll offer you, who remembers, Beckett, although Beckett was already a Red Sox at that point, but we're going to need Will Middlebrooks back. And the Red Sox would just say, no chance, no chance. But we would do a take it or leave it, always on deadline, We'd put it on a whiteboard, and it would be this deal that was so crazy that no one would ever think that it could happen. And it was to trade away a big leaguer to get a top prospect or to trade away a top prospect to get a big leaguer. Like Giancarlo Stanton, when we, offered him, when we didn't offer him for Manny Ramirez, but the Dodgers offered Manny Ramirez to us only for Giancarlo Stanton. Those type of things happen all the time. And that's what makes the trade deadline fun. But at 3 o'clock, when the deadline passes, every single GM of every team will go meet with his team. Or every coach will meet with his team. You always have a team meeting the day of the deadline. Where you say, all right, guys, the front office has done their work. And I would never go to these meetings. The front office has done their work. Let's put it behind us. We got a game tonight. Rip Hamilton was saying it's tough. It's tough to play. It's tough to focus. He was saying it's tough when you're a player. You've got to worry about your family. You don't want to move. You want to move. You're comfortable in the city. It's, it's disruptive. What would it feel like if someone called you at your job and said, hey, by the way, tomorrow you have to now work in Portland instead of in Miami? I get all that. But guess what? That's why the payroll and that's why your paycheck every two weeks adds up in the millions. 
I never wanted any player to go public that he was disappointed with any sort of trade talk because I would always say to the player, hey, listen, do you think any fans give one crap about how hard it is for you when you have to get on a plane flying first class and switch cities, when you have direct deposit of a paycheck every two weeks that's in the hundreds of thousands? Every one of your paychecks is more than 99% of the people make in a full year. Do you think they actually care that you have to figure out babysitting or that you have to actually get a moving company to put your stuff in a box? No one cares. Just go do your job and win a game. And that may sound harsh and anti, not emotional. It's none of those. It's the world we live in. And I'm fine with it. Deadline. It's an exciting day. The Knicks made a big move at the deadline. The Knicks finally made a big move. Everyone's going crazy. They hired Leon Rose, the big-time CAA agent. The Knicks are trying to bring in a new team president. And he comes with the World Wide Web as a combination that they're going to world, world Wide West. Obviously, Coca, that was on purpose. You think I thought his name was WWW? Let me say this to all you Knicks fans out there. If you think that Leon Rose and W to the third have any chance to turn this Nick team around because you find Leon to be a great player agent and W to the third is a power broker, he's the man, he gets stuff done. Guess what? Welcome to the front office where all of that power that you think you have as an agent or as a power broker, it doesn't mean a thing. You are dealing now with ownership. You are dealing with a set of rules and budgets and running a fiscally responsible business. Totally different. When the Knicks brought in Phil Jackson, there was a parade planned. How did that go? If you want to celebrate the hiring of Leon Rose in New York, there's only one way to celebrate it. That's with James Dolan taking the microphone when he introduces Leon and says, this is his team now. I'm your captain now. That would be the only way. Do you think when the Wilpons hired Brody Van Wagenen, the great agent Brody Van Wagenen, by the way, Rip is walking right by my set right now. Hey, Rip, we just talked about you on the show. And we talked about the fact that on the deadline, sometimes you get traded, and I know it feels badly, but that's life. See, this is Rip telling me it's life, but he still doesn't like it. Come here, Rip. I'm bringing Rip on here. I've never had a guest. Rip is live. I've never had a guest. You want me to show? I can't see nobody see my pants, though. Why do you mean? You have great pants. You have great legs, Rip. Hey, just make sure you're talking about far. Rip, just tell us, literally in 45 seconds, what is the hardest part about 2.50 p.m. on trade deadline in the NBA? Well, the one thing you got to realize is that, you know, you don't want to be the guy that's getting traded because you don't want to be the guy that has to uproot your family. You got to tell your wife and your kids and the school and, and, and you know, the, the friends that you have made over the years that you was in, in, in the organization. So I think it's a situation that every player has to go through it. And sometimes we don't understand that basketball is a business. And sometimes we take a lot of these things personally because, you know, you give your heart and soul. Rip, to the what's team. the name of this show? Rip Hamilton show. No, <laughs> this is called nothing personal. It's just business, Rip. Sometimes people get traded. God, thank you for coming on, Rip. Sorry, Ruben, we've now had a second guest. You heard what Richard Hamilton said. That's Rip. This is a man with titles. And the point of it is he's saying uprooting of the family and all the things that he's thinking about. And my job is not that. 
My job is to make sure that we have the best 15 guys possible on a team. And if we're trying to get better, we get better. If we're trying to get worse, we get worse. And if you think the Knicks are getting better with Leon Rose, you need Dolan to step aside. Do you think the Mets got better by hiring Brody Van Wagenen? The Wilpons at that opening press conference didn't say they're giving up control. They didn't say that Brody's going to have final say in everything. It's still the Wilpons do, which is their right. They're the owners. So before we celebrate Leon Rose, let's take it down one notch. And let's realize the entire field of people who have come to New York and left with nary a ring. Okay, I want to do a, uh, so you want to talk to Samson. And uh, this, is a, this is a quick one. This was one that came yesterday, deadline. Tweet at me at David P. Sampson. Go on my direct message. Someone said, did you ever feel compelled to make a move because a competitor did? Or do you religiously follow your own plan? I love that question. Here's how it works. When you have owners, owners always feel compelled to make moves when people in their division or conference make moves. They always feel as though they're being left behind. It's exactly that feeling that agents prey on in order to get paid more money. As a team executive, we would never feel pressured into a trade. We would try to tell our owner to keep calm, carry on. Why do you think that's on the back of my phone? Keep calm and carry on. We would show it in meetings. Stay calm. We do not have to sign someone because the Braves acquired a pitcher or because the Nationals signed a free agent. We've got to do what we do, our plan. And we didn't stick to it as much as we could have or should have. But teams who stick to a plan, they end up being the better team. Thank you for saying so you want to talk to Samson. And no, I was never compelled to make a move. But people are, no doubt about it. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Okay, it's the trade deadline. For people, for loyal listeners, and I appreciate that you download, subscribe, tell your friends. It's right there on Apple. Do a five-star. You've heard me make dollar bets. You've heard me win a bet from Ruben, who was the first guest of this show when he paid me my dollar. Where do you think that comes from? I've been making dollar bets for 25 years. It comes from a movie called Trading Places. If you have not seen Trading Places, please watch it tonight. When, after you've listened to this show, just watch it. It ages perfectly. It's got Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd, Jamie Lee Curtis. It has Randolph and Mortimer Duke, played by Ralph Bellamy and Don Amici. Rest in peace. I think they're both dead. And you know what? Watch them. They bet a dollar that they can change the circumstance of a big-time executive and give that job to a 
homeless person, and that homeless person will do the job just as well as the Ivy League trained executive. Trading places. They make the executive homeless and the homeless the executive. And what happens is staggering. It is a social experiment way ahead of its time. If it happened now, would people criticize? Would people criticize the gratuitous, gratuitous nudity of Jamie Lee Curtis? I was young enough that when that happened, don't watch Trading Places edited. Trust me, you're welcome. Would a movie like this get made today? I'm not so sure, but it should. It is pure comedy, pure brilliance, and education. You will get to learn about the futures market. You'll get to learn how trades are done, stocks, commodities. They're commodities traders is what the Duke brothers do. It is informative, so you can watch it with your kids. It's not violent, though there may be a holdup at one point. It's not rated R, though there's a tiny bit of nudity. But it is very informative, very funny, and you will then know why it's always best to just trade a dollar. Okay, I am going to uh, give you my favorite trade deadline story. I got permission to tell this story last night when I, was, uh, I saw Jeff Conine. And this story is, uh, this is 100% true, never been told. This is the story of how the Marlins acquired Jeff Conine in 2003. So in baseball, there used to be two trade deadlines all the way up to last year. There was a July 31st deadline, and then there was an August 31st deadline. I don't want to take time at this moment to explain it because it involved waivers and it involved how you claim players and trade for players. The bottom line is, if you didn't have a player on your team by August 31st, that player could not play in the postseason. And at the time, the Marlins had had the best record in baseball since May after we had fired a guy named Jeff Torborg. You'll know him well if you're a Mets fan. And we hired Jack McKeon. You'll know him well if you're a Reds fan or a Marlins fan. And we were playing. Everything was great. We're watching a game. It's a home game on August 31st. What you do preparing for the deadline is you put your roster together. So we have our full 25-man roster. We have our full 40-man roster. And we are good to go. Everything's fine. We're watching the game. All of a sudden, the Marlins are up to bat. Mike Lowell is at the plate. He takes a pitch, and the pitch hit him right below the pinky, right in the hammock bone. It banged him right there. Before Lowell hit the ground, we were on the phone with our baseball people convening a meeting. We had been around long enough to know that either way Lowell was going to be out. That was a definite at that time DL this time. Today it's called an IL. Lowell was going to the injured list. We had to replace Lowell on the team. We had someone named Miguel Cabrera who could come in and play third base for Mike Lowell from left field. He was a natural infielder at the time. But we needed to replace him. That year, before July 31st, we had tried to acquire a guy who played for the Orioles, whose nickname was Mr. Marlin, who had won a World Series in 1997 with the Marlins. His name was Jeffrey Guy Conine. I didn't know him. I knew I'd come to the Marlins after he had been gone in the fire sale of 98 that was done by Wayne Huizinga. So I just knew that he was 
playing for uh, Baltimore. He was a first baseman, DH, could play some outfield, he could hit, and he was a Marlins icon. Very good clubhouse guy. We got all the reports on him, which I told you we do before you ever look to make trades. But the Orioles would not trade him. The Orioles claimed. And by the way, the GM at the time of the Orioles was my first GM in baseball. It's a very incestuous world in baseball. It's why Bernie Bridges is never smart because you've got always one community to work with. Jim Beatty was the GM, co-GM of the Baltimore Orioles at that time. Jim Beatty says, hey, Peter Angelos, the owner, loves Jeff Conine. Loves him. We can't trade him. So we have that marked down that Jeff Conine is a HTA. An HTA is a hard to acquire. Hard to acquire is a synonym to OP. Hard to acquire is a synonym to OP. Overpay. If you're going to get an HTA, you're going to have to do an OP. And to create an HTA, you can do it in many ways. You can have him on a team-friendly deal. That means he's going to be hard to acquire because he's such a valuable asset. Young players are HTAs. Owners' favorites are HTAs. You know that if the owner has a relationship with the player and that you have proven, and it's true, that player becomes hard to acquire. You're going to have to overpay. Mike Lowell gets hit in the hammock bone. Down goes Lowell. We start a meeting during the game immediately, and we target Jeff Conai would be perfect. We need to have him acquired by 11.59 and 59 seconds that night. This was a day game, night game. Isn't that funny? They're all the same. I can't remember what time of day the game was, but it's not even an important part of the story. The Orioles are playing in Seattle. It's a getaway day, which means it was either a Wednesday or a Sunday. Could have been a Thursday. Look back, August 31st, 2003. Coca, wouldn't this be amazing if you would tell me when August 31st, 2003 was? Like the day of the week and what time of day the game was that the Marlins were playing? Yeah, whatever. I think he's sleeping in the production room. Anyone there? Hello? Hello? Mikey's here. Yeah, whatever. I think, hello? So we meet, we identify Conan, we call Baltimore, and we say, listen, we, uh, we have a situation. Um, we'd like to talk about Conine again. And Jim Beatty said, listen, uh, he's, a, he's an owner's favorite. Well, it's already August 31st. The Orioles, you're not going anywhere. You know, he's got no years left on his deal. You know, let's talk about some names. We just need him right now. We, Mike Lowell went down. You can't hide the fact that Lowell got hurt. You can't hide the fact that you're going to be taken over a barrel by any team you trade with. It's going to be a bad deal because you've got a deadline where you've got to get the deal done to get the player on your roster. The Orioles say it's going to take Denny Bautista and Donald Levinsky to get Jeff Conine, but I'm going to have to check with Peter Angelos first. It was a Sunday day game. You're so late, Coca. I'm two minutes past the part of that story. So Sunday day game, we won 5-3. That's not relevant. You say it. I should have not repeated that. You're taking up valuable seconds. We're not going to trade Denny Bautista and Donald Levinsky. These are top prospects of the Marlins. Our scouts are in the trade deadline room. They're losing their minds. You cannot make that deal. These could be number one or number two top of the rotation guys. Don't make the trade. I'm sitting there. We've got the owner who's panicked because we could be a playoff team. And Mike Lowell's down for what could be eight weeks, maybe back for the playoffs. But that's it. 
and we need to bring in someone because to play outfield to move Cabrera to the infield. Who cares about Batista and Levinsky? Make the deal. Our baseball people were despondent, but our GM and president of baseball ops were not. They said, listen, folks, you've got to OP when you get a, to get a player like Conine. You've got to overpay. We now have two strikes against us. One, Angelos loves him. Two, they know that Lowell got hurt. Three, the deadline is right now. We made an executive decision over the objections of our scouts that we were willing to do Conine for Bautista and Levinsky. We call the Orioles and say, listen, we're going to do it. They then say to us, hey, Conine, he's got a no-trade clause. So we are feverishly looking at his contract. He has a no-trade clause. He's not going to waive a trade to come home. We know he lives in Florida. We know that we're a team that's going to the playoffs. That's a bunch of malarkey. They're trying to get more out of us. We then get a call from Conine's agent. No, he's not going to waive his no-trade clause unless you give him an extension. Jeff Conine threatened us that he will not become a Marlin unless we add a year to his deal. And we were like, are you kidding me? We're not going to have Conine next year. That's ridiculous. We're bringing in him right now. Period. End of story. Well, he's not waiving the deadline. That's bull. Meanwhile, we're going up toward the midnight. All of a sudden, we get a call from the agent that there's a woman involved. This woman named Cindy Conine. I had no idea who she was. It was Jeff Conine's wife. Cindy Conine, who's living in Florida with kids, is holding up a trade that would bring her husband home because they wanted the extra year. Jeff Conine's telling us, because we're speaking to the agent, we're speaking to Jim Beatty of the Orioles, we have three phones going at once. We're being told that his wife is holding up the deal and is going to keep him in Baltimore because we're not going to extend Conine's deal. His wife, it infuriated me. No chance. We're not doing it. Meanwhile, we're having this happen. We're watching Baltimore play a 4 p.m. game, and we're hoping that Conine hits into double play after double play, so maybe Angelos will end up trading him. Maybe it'll all work out for us. Conine does hit into a double play against Seattle that day. We get to Conine through his agent after the game. He won't even talk to us. He's getting on a plane to fly east. We need to get him before he gets on the plane to waive his no-trade clause. We've got his wife in Florida who's calling the agent saying no. We're calling the agent saying we're not doing this. It's ridiculous. We're calling the Orioles saying we're willing to give you Bautista and Levinsky, but he better waive his no-trade clause. All of this is going on. Time is passing. I'm getting furious. My GM is ordering Pizza Hut, and I leave because I'm not being held up by a player wife. No chance. I go back home. I stay in touch. 10.30, 11, 11.15. We've got 45 minutes. Desperation sets in. And wouldn't you know it, Cindy Conine got me. We extended Conine's contract. They won. We gave him an extra year. At, we ended up doing a two-year, $8 million deal with him, keeping him for the 2000, rest of three and 2004. We finished the deal and call it in at 11.59 and 45 seconds. We had 15 seconds to spare, and we only got Conine, who helped us win a ring, 
because we gave in to the insane negotiating tactics of a player, the agent, and the wife. Postscript. Cindy Conine, Jeff Conine, and I, family, friends, great friends. She is an amazing woman. Two, she wasn't holding up the deal. It was all leverage negotiating. Three, Jeff Conine met Peter Angelos one goddamn time. Angelos couldn't have cared less about Conine. That is a lesson I learned that I will never forget. Forget what owners think about players. If a GM tells me, oh, my owner loves that guy, I'll say whatever. Three, getting Jeff Conine was the smartest and best trade we ever made. As a clubhouse guy, as a leader, as Mr. Marlin, where he would continue to be Mr. Marlin up until he was let go in the Jeter reshuffle. That is the story of the Jeff Conine trade. There's not one thing in there that people would believe happened, and every bit of it happened. Rooting for your player to hit a double play. Little postscript, Jeff Conine, first at bat as a Marlin. He came, he played immediately, man on third, under two outs. He hits a pop-up behind first base. Jeff Conine gets the ass when he makes an out, like he rips his helmet, he throws it down. I mean, just, he gets crazy. So he's furious, and he's running toward first. Meanwhile, he drives in the run because the runner on third tags up. He gets the RBI sacrifice fly on a pop-up behind first base. First at-bat ever for Conine. RBI as a new Marlin. Thank you, Niner. Okay. I'm going to do a quick wait to see here for you. The wait to see is that uh, there's a lot going on with bets right now. Mookie bets to the Dodgers. Have you heard that that deal is in jeopardy? Well, let me explain to you how it's going to work. The Mookie Betts deal is going to happen because the Dodgers need it to happen and the Red Sox need it to happen. The problem is there's an injury, and I've had this when we acquired a pitcher from the Padres who was injured. The injury is with the Minnesota Twins pitcher, and now the rumor is the Red Sox are saying we don't want him because it turns out he has shoulder impingement. Guess what? He missed time last year with that impingement. They knew it. What the Red Sox aren't happy with is all the PR that all you people on Twitter are saying what a disgrace the trade is. The fact that he could be a reliever and not a starter. You're losing your mind. So the Red Sox are balking, saying, you know, we've got a medical issue. Well, here's what'll happen. The bets deal will happen, but it'll be changed. The Twins may throw in some window dressing, a lower level prospect to make up for the fact that their main piece has a little impingement. It's possible the Dodgers will throw in an extra shekel or two in order to pay price down a little more. That could happen. But all I know is that it's a guarantee that the Mookie Betts trade will happen. That's the way to see. All right, I told you all that uh, when I make mistakes, and when you do a show every day, you're going to make mistakes. That is a normal part of a show. I'm not embarrassed about him. I'd like Coca to help me make fewer but it's not that he can't, he just won't, because I think he takes some sort of perverse pleasure in it. But I love to hear from you on Twitter, at David P. Sampson, when you tell me. And I had a loyal fan of Nothing Personal tell me, they listened to a previous show, and I happened to say that the Yankees have not won a World Series since 2000. And I obviously had blanked out the fact that Joe Girardi and A.J. Burnett won a ring for the Yankees in 2009. I said I would apologize. Of course I apologize. I don't want to be wrong. I'll give you my opinions on everything. Opinions can't be right or wrong. They're mine. When I give you facts, I want to be right. When I'm wrong, they'll be corrected. Well, I thank you for correcting me. So for all the Yankee fans out there, 
Yes, you're right. Since 2000, you've won one World Series, and that's in 2009. Obviously, the Red Sox have done a whole lot better. And I say when you correct me, I'm totally fine with it because you know I've always known that with you, it's just business. It's nothing personal. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com